You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 172 of the Spruce and Bruce podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Hello, hello, hello. How are we gentlemen? Not bad. It's it's Monday again, is it? I, I, I lose track of time. It's good. I love Mondays. I love Mondays now. Path to the preview. That's what <laughs> Mondays are all about. A lot, a lot of views on a Monday these days, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought you were going to say you love Mondays because it was uh, podcast night. <laughs> oh, well, that's a given. That's implied. I, d- I don't know if you noticed, actually, Jay, um, but they mentioned there's some uh, Eldari reveals tomorrow as well. Did they? They did. Mm, I mean, it could be, I don't know, re- rules preview. I don't know. But they definitely said in the article uh, over on Warcom today, uh, revealing the, the codex art. Sorry, Matt, I'm absolutely, you know, ripping stuff from your new segment here. <laughs> um, but they mentioned um, reveals for the Eldari tomorrow. That's Tuesday at the time of recording, probably when the podcast has gone live. But um, right. um, I'll stop pinching stuff from your uh, section now, Matt. Um, awesome. So, yeah, this is episode 172. Um, we have got quite a bit to talk about in the news. Um, also, there was this little event, just this little event, called the Las Vegas Open that took place. Uh, on Friday in, guess what, Las Vegas, uh, and they <laughs> revealed a lot of stuff. <laughs> so um, what we're going to do is we're going to reveal our top three reveals from um, LVO, and we'll uh, probably pick, we'll probably hit um, all of um, the reveals in that. Uh, we'll also be talking um, or reading out the community top three picks as well towards the end of the show. So the models that you guys are very excited to pick up when they come out, which Usually it's been a sort of three months, isn't it, Matt? Mm, yeah, ordinarily they don't show anything that's coming out later than six, uh, three months away. Yeah, so that's that's pretty that's pretty cool. But what's even cooler is we're going to be talking about the brand new Tau Codex for Warhammer 40k. Um, both me and Jay have scoured over this book. It's a good book, isn't it, Jay? I really like it. Yeah, it's it's a really really. I mean, it's got some like crazy good stuff in it. But on the whole, I actually think it's one of the funniest books I've read for Warhammer 40k. I could not agree more. So we're going to pick out some of the highlights um, later on in the show uh, because we have done a review uh, if you wanted something a bit more in-depth and then a full run-through of the book as well. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll chat about that a little bit later on. But before we get stuck into all of that, let's have a bit of a roundtable, see what we've been doing in the hobby over the last seven days. Mr. Woods, would you like to start us off? What have you been up to this week, Andy? I knew you were going to pick me. Every week I, I try and guess who you're going to pick, and I knew you were going to pick me one. Um, <laughs> so one of my hobby resolutions is to build and paint the entire contents of Dominion, because um, I've had that box. I <clears throat> When it came out, I ummed and ahed about buying it, because I was just like, do I want to do Stormcast? Do I want to do a Crew Boys Army? And of course, I've got the willpower... Well, I haven't got any willpower. Um, so that's <laughs> of course I bought it. Um, but I didn't want it to stay on my shelf all year because it's, it's sat on my shelf for about six months now. So I thought to myself, you know what? This week I'm going to get it all built. I'll get it all primed and then I'll start painting it. So I've spent the last seven days doing just that. I've built it all. I've primed all of the Cruel Boy stuff with Zandri Dust um, and I've sprayed 
all of the Stormcast stuff with Retributor Gold and go for Hammers of Sigmar. Um, because I did um, a Hammers of Sigmar army back when Age of Sigmar first came out because I knew that Stormcast were one of the few armies that were never going to get discontinued and replaced. And obviously back when Age of Sigmar was first happening, that, you know, that was a thing. Armies did disappear and stuff. So, um, yeah, poor Wood Elves, Petodians, Two Kings, you know, all those. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I've built all those, I've primed them all, and currently sat on my painting desk as I'm talking right now. I've got all the base coats done on the three Annihilators, um, nice. which I think, with the exception of the Lord Exorcist that I painted for our local Games Workshop's uh, painting competition a couple of weeks, uh, just before Christmas, I think it was. Um with the exception of that, as the first Stormcast models I've painted in about four or five years. So yeah. it's it's been really fun. And this time I'm putting in a lot of painting, a lot of effort into painting them. Whereas back when Age of Sigma first came out and I, I did them then, I I was rushing them for events and stuff. So yeah, I'm gonna I've got to take my time. I've got a whole year to paint the Dominion box set. So you know. December 24th, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, there's so there's such a good box, though, isn't it? I've I've still got um all the Stormcast side to to build and paint. I I do intend at some stage to to do them as Hallowed Knights. I just don't don't know when I want to get around to. Them. Maybe like you, Andy. Maybe I'll get them done this year. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to see. Excellent. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to this week in the hobby? So it's been a it's been a weird week for me. I've done some more work on the Slangors. The got their um stockings painted which is a very weird <laughs> thing to say but you know that's, that's how it is with slangor um i've been painting some super secret stuff that i can't talk about yet that's that's taking a lot of the painting time um i'm eager to get those uh slangor finished though which will be next job after i've painted what i'm painting uh and then yeah i really want to crack on and, and paint the rest of the stuff that i've got so that i can get glue toss and zigvald basically that's mm. the uh that's the uh the carrot get through these guys and then yeah the the nice shiny centerpiece models uh, and i've also done a stack of reviews really is what i've been up to at the minute so um we can't look for it on the show because i've got enough time but i did review vigilus alone the new narrative supplement for 40k really really cool comes with a big campaign poster that's uh really really fun looking uh so check out the review that's on the website also reviewed the blood bowl almanac which basically contains the last three Spike magazines, plus some new rules at the back, including rules to play games with nothing but star players. <laughs> Every bit as chaotic as you would imagine. Hmm. That sounds cool. Yeah, it looks really fun. So, yeah, yeah, check it out. So, so we've got videos and reviews of both those books up on the website. So, yeah, I've been super busy with that kind of stuff. Hopefully next week she'll be back on the uh, back on the painting and get, get a lot more Slanesh painted. Excellent, excellent. How about yourself, Jay? What have you been up to this week? Well, I mean, it's all about the Eldar. It was all about the Eldar last time um, with the bone single and whatnot. Um, I've been up into my box of bits upstairs and I've separated all of my Eldar from the rest of the spare bits of Warhammer and odd models and things I have. And it was a successful rummage because I found pretty much every metal aspect warrior squad bar the Dark Reapers and the Shining Spears. 
which yeah, that's convenient conveniently enough yeah i'm okay so i've got a full squad of uh, metal fire dragons a full squad of metal howling banshees a full squad of metal striking scorpions a full squad of metal warp spiders a full squad of metal swooping hawks um i even found some old metal rangers um a few old metal harquins a rook of uh, warlocks farces including um the um I don't know if you remember the second edition farce here that you used to see in the old Eldar codexes. Um, I got him. They did a meter order not so well. I say not so long ago. It was probably about five or six years ago. And I remember picking <laughs> him up there. Um, so they, they're all ready to, to sort of build. And, and, and the, none of them were painted. I think their warp spiders were sprayed black and that was it. So I obviously had these models since I was a kid and never done anything with them. But now is the time. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about the Eldar. I have been doing lots of building and painting this week, but like Matt, I can't really talk. Come back next week, and I shall uh, we shall show you what we've been doing. Excellent stuff. Lots of sneaky stuff going on. Um, I have um, well, I can reveal what I've been doing. So with obviously us having the the new tower book, I've been reading that um, cover to cover. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this later on in the show, but it was that good. I, I had to read almost like every page from it. Um, it was How many storm sword sturges have you built this uh, this week then, Dave? <laughs> just, I've only got the one, and that was already built, as as you, as you know, Jay. As you know, <laughs> um, I, I I tell you what though, I really, 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 really want to paint it. Um, but there's so much more to paint before it that it's just going to have to wait, unfortunately. Um, but I have been um, trying out a new scheme on a, an ethereal with a hover drone, um, and I've got sprayed and eagerly waiting uh, to be painted, and I want to get him done by the end of the week, is Dark Strider. Oh, the new so one. He's the new guy, yeah. So he's been sprayed up and built. Um, very nice model. Um, I've left. He's got like a bit of a wall section that goes kind of behind him. I've kept that off. I've sprayed that separate. Um, otherwise, you're going to miss like a big chunk of the model. It's going to make life very, very, very difficult for you. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get him finished by the end of the week. Um, he's, he's, he's a lovely model. And I love the little drones that he's got. They're, they're very, very cool. Um, so, yeah. He is he's one of my favourite Tau character models, actually. I mean, I think Shadow Sun and Farsight are both very good. But Dark Strider, it's those little drones, I think, that make it for me. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to picking up Shadow Sun at some point. And I, I did have a fine cast Farsight, but I think he fell off a shelf uh, and broke. <laughs> he was fully painted as well. Um, was he pushed off a shelf by the Ethereals? Possibly, possibly. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm tempted to pick him back up again at, at some point in the near future. But I, I'm really hoping that with them now having this new book as well and there not being much left in metal and fine cast that you might get a new plastic model please gw at some point that'd be great um so we'll we'll have to wait and see uh apart from that i've been um building the contents of um combat patrol tau so i'm currently building the ghost keel i've never built one before um, it's not been the most straightforward of builds um but uh it, it's still been it's still been fun and obviously I've built it's quite an hero. interesting build though isn't it yeah yeah, I um, really it's very similar, to... I think, to the space. Sorry, Space Marine Dreadnoughts. Joe with the sarcophagus as I open up and things like that. Yeah, I want to make sure that that stays so that it'll be able to open and close. I'm very conscious of that, and because I see a lot online where it looks like people have just like glued them shut, and I really don't want to do that. Um, so I'm just gonna have to be super, super careful um, to try and keep it opening and closing. Because um, I really like little touches like that. I think that's really cool. Uh, so yeah, that's that's me for for the week really. Um, 
So, yeah, I think that wraps up our introduction to this week's episode. We've got LEO to talk about. We've got more Tau to talk about. But first of all, we've got the news, and that is coming up next. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, we've only got one pre-order this week, but it is a biggie. We have got Eldritch Omens, the latest battle box for Warhammer 40,000, clocking in at £125. This contains 16 miniatures, which doesn't sound many, but there's some awesome miniatures, uh, 15 of which are brand spanking new. So we've got a multi-part plastic autark for the Eldar, we have got some uh, Shroud Runners, which are kind of stealth jet bikes with rangers on the back. Oh, and, typical uh, elf. You typical send their snipers to battle on the jet bike. Exactly. And then we've got the, the, the new plastic rangers. So, yeah, really, really cool stuff for the Eldari side. And then for the Forces of Chaos, we've got the black... For the Forces of Chaos, we've got the brand new Warpsmith. We've got the Chaos Chosen... And the only old model in the box is the Mauler Fiend slash Forge Fiend. But you know what? I, I still think that's a really nice model. And the price tag, £125, I don't think bad at all, considering it's mostly new models. No, it probably works out at like 100, 175 or something like that. I was just trying to do the maths in my head. But yeah, it works out probably about 175 quid if you bought it all separately. Yeah. Um, so as with the recent uh, other battle boxes they've done, if you pre-order it the weekend it's up, um, you are guaranteed a copy as well. I think that's a really good thing that Game Switch we've introduced. It kind of yes. means that you're not. Yeah. So yeah, it, it means that you'd have to sit there refreshing the Game Switch website at ten o'clock to get a copy. You are going to get one. So uh, yeah, I think that's a really good thing that they've started uh, introducing because there was a bit of criticism in the past about you know people missing out on these boxes because they weren't there at 10 o'clock on the dot. So, yeah, definitely a thumbs up from me. We also got a bit of news today about the next six battle tomes coming out of the Age of Sigma. Can you believe it? So we were only chatting, what, yesterday, that it all been very quiet on the battle tome front since uh, the Stormcast and the uh, Uruk. And now we've got a whole... Battle Tome roadmap for the first half of the year. Yeah, I'm really pleased to, to see this because um, we were only discussing, I think it was today in our private chat, that it, it all seems to have gone a bit quiet on the Age of Sigma Battle Tome front. Yeah, exactly. So, um, And these, yeah. these are six books before summer, isn't it? I think I read. So yeah. over the next three months, four, well, four or five months. Yeah, so so there's, there's, they've got it into kind of winter, spring and summer windows. The winter window which is presumably February, I guess, is Ideneth, Deepkin and Fire Slayer. So we're obviously we're in the recent uh, battle box. Then in the spring, we've got a new Night Haunt and Daughters of Cain book. And then in the summer, we've got a Mystery Chaos book and a Mystery Order book. Now, any hopes or ideas of what those two books could be, guys? Yes, yes. I hope <laughs> that one of them is Skaven. I'm yeah, hoping well, Beast of Chaos. Piece of I, chaos for me. See, I, I we've heard rumours, haven't we? I mean, we hear lots of rumours, and they're not all they all turn out. But we've heard rumours of Skaven versus Seraphon that would fit this kind of pair, considering all the other ones seem to be paired around battle boxes as well. Um, I, I, obviously, I'd love Beast of Chaos. 
uh, I'd love mixed demons. Uh, hey, I'm currently painting the Slanesh army. I wouldn't mind a, a third Slanesh book. <laughs> uh, for Order J, I'm guessing the Lumineth three codexes, three well, years. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> I, I was trying to think, there's not that many. I mean, with the Eisenhoff and the Fire Slayers getting a book. And those. And Daughters, yep. And Stormcast have had theirs. There's not a lot left on the order side. Sylvaneth, Lumineth, um, Cities of Sigmar, or Dawnbreaker Crusades, if they eventually turn into something like that, uh, or Seraphon. So, you know, I'm, I'd be quite happy to see any of those books, really. I mean, yeah, I mean Skaven and Seraphon are, are currently two armies that kind of... They've not really had any new models for Age of Sigmar. I think Seraphon have had Lord Croak, and that's about it. So... If they're going to do them in the summer, I'm hoping, especially for Skaven, I'm hoping that it's it, it, there's tons of new kits because there's so many kits that are just so old now. Like, you know, uh, I think it'd be great to see some a form-blown model range, kind of like what we're seeing with the Eldar at the minute. Yeah, well, that was the kind of, I believe that's the release slot that the um, Soulblight Gravelords have, which is obviously a big miniature release. So, one and or both these books are probably going to be quite chunky. If I was betting, I would say, I mean, if you could have any two, Dawnbreaker Crusades with a massive new range with infantry that look like the Paladin woman out of yeah. uh, Curse City, that'd be amazing. And that brings the whole Cities of Sigmar range up to date and you can get rid of a lot of those old kits then. That's just that's just a hope on my side, though. But yeah, so it's exciting. It's a Exciting. I'm, I'm glad that we saw a bit of this because, I mean, we we're talking about it in the LVO section, but we were a little concerned we hadn't seen anything in the Battle Tome kind of horizon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good. So, yeah, six books by the summer. That's that's pretty strong showing, really. Even if presumably a lot of these are just going to be book, book and a character or just a book, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think Sigma needs a lot of new books up to catch everyone up to third edition, really, don't they? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So if you prefer your battles in the grim darkness of the far future, though, uh, after we talked earlier with, with Dave Storm of Thunder about the new Eldar book and it having 200 pages, that's pretty cool news. It also contains the rules for Harlequins, Corsairs and Inari, meaning that you can put together any Eldar force out of it, which is pretty cool. Um, it's, yeah, I believe book. it's nearly as big as the Space Marine Codex, which is uh, crazy. But that's not the really exciting bit of news in that article. Oh, no, no, no. We found out, a bit of a surprise to all of us on the show, that the next 40k codex is Tyranids. Um, nom, 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 nom. Oh, I didn't realise this. <laughs> this is brand new brand new <laughs> to me. I'm actually quite excited about that. Yeah, yeah, breaking news, Tyranids are coming soon, and they can't be too far off. Presumably, hashtag spoilers, based on how Vigilus alone ends. I suspect we'll see Chaos Knights and Chaos Space Marines in the next season, which is going to be, let's face it, it's the summer, six months away. So there's quite a few, you know, months there to fill with releases. So to see Tyranids coming out, again, don't know if they're going to have models here. We have seen a few Tyranidy bits of things, haven't we? Yeah, that's true, that's true. Stuff. So presumably yeah. there's at least one new model. I'd like Tyranids to get a couple of kits. I think that'd be good for them. I I um I think with the stuff that we've got coming at the moment, I think we're only going to see the one kit, unfortunately. Um, but I hope it's a a unit kit rather than a character kit. Um, that's my hope that it, if we're gonna get so if we're gonna get a new model, I'd like it to be a unit rather than a character. But 
my head says it's going to be another character. Do you think we're going to get another battle box then? <clears throat> With the Tyranids in? Maybe Tyranids and Guards or something like that? I don't think so. No. Uh, because we're we, we getting a battle box next week, aren't we? With Eldar versus Chaos. We know that, and we'll talk about it in a bit, we know that there's going to be a kill team box come in. Mm. And there's a couple of AOS boxes. That's as pretty boxed out for the next couple of months, isn't it? I think. I yeah. imagine that the next 40k battle box would be in the next season. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this will just be one, one kit and the book. Um, but it, it, how good the ninth edition books have been just recently? Well, since the launch of the, of the edition, really, really excited for this. It should be it should be a really good book. Yeah. Well, I do think we'll see in all these books we've mentioned and all these battle tomes we've mentioned is Combat Patrol slash, I forget what the Age of Sigma ones are called. Vanguard. Vanguard, yeah. Those kind of boxes for all those forces, and the recent ones have been pretty good. Like You you ran about the Tau one earlier. That's an ace box. be mm. great to see, like, a um, Night Haunt one with some of the units that weren't in Soul Wars, maybe. It'd be a really good kind of expansion to that force to get a Night Haunt army up to full size. Mm. Or a Tyranid box with something different in it rather than what's it gene stealers and a trigon a trigon yeah it's, it's a random mix of models isn't it? it's not really a start an army one so no. you know some gaunts i'd like to see read on gaunts i i hope that you're wrong with the one model and i hope we get a couple of new kits but obviously there's a lot of kits coming out and a lot of books everything unfortunately can't have an eldar size kind of supporting wave no. but yeah so it's exciting i'm looking forward to that now i have got a final bit of a final bit of news so I was lurking on the Blood Bowl Facebook groups over the weekend and somebody had ordered a model. Um, I forget what it was. I think it was the new um, corn big guy. And they opened it up and, and won't you know it, it wasn't a corn model in the uh, in the blister. It was only a Yeti. <laughs> now, obviously, Forge World have been redesigning all of the Blood Bowl teams, bringing them up to date and putting out plastic kits. And this Yeti's obviously kind of <laughs> escaped from Games Workshop a little bit early. But he's clearly a sign that the Norse are more than likely going to be the next team for Blood Bowl. So mm. far. Now, say if looking at some, you know, potato cam images, uh, GW have put up some painted images of the Yeti on Warcom today. And he looks really cool. You know, I think, I think a Norse, a Norse kind of, I think, reinvented Chaos Marauders. I think they'd be a really fun team. But lots of Viking vibes to them, maybe. Yeah, this Yeti looks really detailed. He looks big. Um, yeah, really like him. So, yeah. So, hopefully, hopefully it's not too far away if, uh, you know, the models are obviously in the yeah, the warehouse accidentally yeah. getting sent out. Uh, there's a couple of times we've seen that now. The question is, what would you do? Would you keep the early Ooh. model or would you get send it back to Games Workshop for the, you know, the actual one that you ordered? Well, if it was chaos, I'd melt it. You'd melt it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I was shocked when it looked like you were going to collect a Black Legion army, Jay, because um, this is your chaos opinion right here. I know. Uh, do you know what, actually, Joe, you, know, you get your Google memories that came up today. Six years ago, I was painting... Was it six years ago? Four years ago? Could have been four. Four years ago. I was painting... It was whenever um, Harkin came out, Joe, the Black Legion Herald. Mm. And I was painting... I got a full squad of raptors painted up. Ooh. What was I doing? What was I thinking? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, does that wrap up this week's news, Matt? It does indeed. 
well, well, does it? Does it? Because there was a little event called the LVO. Um, we've, we've got to talk about it. We're going to have it as part of our top threes. We're going to take a pause and come back with that. So we're doing the top three a little bit earlier this week because we're tying it into a bit of a chat about LVO and all the reveals that we have seen. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go around the table and we're going to discuss our top three reveals from the show. Uh, and then we'll see if obviously we've we've missed anything that needs to get mentioned. Uh, and also towards the end of the show, we will be reading out all the community top three um, picks as well. So uh, we'll get an idea of what you guys are, are really, really looking forward to. So there's a little bit to talk about here. Shall we start with you, Jake? Um, what were you most excited about from El- LVO? It was a good event for me, really. Um, <laughs> it was great to see so many cool models. Um, the number three model for me was a model that I sort of wasn't expecting to see. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the rest of the unit. It was the Eldar Corsair. <clears throat> yeah for the, the void boxer. scarred yeah I, um you know it's sort of got that cross aesthetic between the dark eldar and the craft world eldar but still looks distinct um mm. we saw the silhouette of this on the um poster and we've you know i could see the pointy ears and i could see the sort of bird and i thought could it be a lumineff model um and i'm really glad it wasn't because i think it's a really really nice nice model and kill team um the good thing about the the the, the um, forces that come in the kill team boxes is they're all sort of individual each of the models they have their own distinct piece of war gear um, and, and normally have their own distinct abilities and things like that um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what the rest of the unit looks like and I remember Forge World used to do um, sell some Eldar Corsairs uh, with Laz Blasters and jetpacks um, and things like that um, I don't know if we'll see any of that, but obviously the Corsairs have got access to a lot of exotic weaponry. They don't really care too much about sticking to the path of the Eldar. They're not as disciplined. Um, they're a bit more carefree and risk-taking. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. We may even see some sort of like, um, you know, we had, is it the Grinks, Dave? The Eldar cat that goes with the ring? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. might see, and that little dragon that the Eldar-looking Inquisitor has. We may see some little cool things like that. Um, just to sort of expand the sort of Eldar sort of range of models. Um, so, yeah, so the Corsair was my number three choice. My second choice has to be that Avatar, the Avatar of Kane. Um, mm. And I think Games Workshop did a really, really good job of sort of um, hyping this model up. Unfortunately, it did leak a bit early, I think. If you were on Facebook and different groups, you may have caught glimpses of it. Um, but I really like the... Um, they, they they showed an image which showed you the avatar over the years, which followed on from that cool video they did, <laughs> where you just see the avatar getting smaller and smaller compared to all the other models that have come out since. Um, so you saw the avatar model back from Epic all the way through to, um, you'll remember, Dave, the avatar model that I used to own. Absolutely. The third edition, the metal one, which at the time was quite an impressive, you know, the same size as a Dreadnought, but over the years has sort of diminished in stature a little bit. But the new avatar... Um, just looks incredible. It really, really sort of um, true to the the original artwork and concept. It, you know, it's just a scaled up, more detailed, better looking version of the Avatar we all know and love. But you're surprised top... me how how true it is to the the scale and look of that original Epic one. Yes, mm. yeah, I, I, and that's it. I mean, when you've got such a timeless sort of design like that, why change it too much? Um, but having said that. 
they have changed it a little bit because you get the different um, weapon options, which we've seen over the years. The spear on the Forgewood model. We've never seen an axe before, but it looks really, really cool. Very much like the uh, Wraith Blades axes that the Wraith Guard mm. units have. Um, and then those two different heads that you get. Um, now, I like them all. I, I think I think every single combination of that you can build on that model looks really, really cool. It's going to be such a nice centerpiece for an aspect-heavy Eldar army. Um, You're going to have we, to uh, magnetize it, Jay, and paint all the various options. Well, yeah, this is it. I, I think rules-wise, it doesn't matter how you build them. The Wailing Doom, which is the weapon the Avatar wields, can take the form of a spear, of an axe. I don't, in game terms, I don't think it has any difference. So it's purely going to be an aesthetic choice. I think I'm going to stick and build it as the the sort of original artwork-inspired avatar with the crested helm uh, and the Wailing Doom as a sword, just because I think it's an iconic um, Eldar centerpiece. Then. But the other, the fact that they've, they've, they've put extra heads in there, and I've seen some really cool photoshops of people doing, like, icy blue colour schemes on it and things like that. I think once, like, really good painters get a hold of this model, it's a really, really nice one. The only bit that disappoints me a little bit about this model is the base. Uh, and not the whole base, but the flames on the base. I don't think they're the best flames that Games Workshop have sculpted myself. They look a bit, I don't know. I think I think I've seen more impressive sort of bases for endless spells in Age of Sigmar and things like that, which I, I think they could have done a bit more with the flame effects on the base. But that's just from the images I've seen. Maybe when we get the model in our hands or the 360s on Games Workshop's website, maybe those sort of you know concerns will be alleviated a little bit. But other than that, I think the model's incredible. Um, and then my number one choice. So I remember this was, I don't have this model anymore, but I, I, I didn't find him in my rummage through me Eldar bits uh, over the week. Um, but he was the first Phoenix Lord I ever bought. And it was Morgan Ra with the, I mean, he was only a diddy little thing with his scythe. Um, but this model, oh, wow. this It's an incredible sculpt, this one. Like a Grim Reaper standing across some Eldar ruins with that um, Shrook. I think it's called the Mogita, isn't it? His um, Shrook and Cannon scythe thing. Um, mm. Oh wow, this is this is incredible, and it's so good to see the Eldar range updated with these crazy good sculpts. You know, the Eldar armies always looked quite, I think, I don't quite sort of artful on the tabletop. People have done some really nice color schemes, striking color schemes. They've always had the really really cool look to them, but now they've got the the sculpt quality to match as well. So, um, but yeah, Morgan Ra, oh man, he's really really cool. So you've got him now, Jane's Zar. I'm gonna have to build and paint jeans are before the codex comes out i think because i'd love to have all of the uh, phoenix lords built and painted for a um a big yeah. battle that we have one day mm. that'd be excellent that's a really good idea yeah we're looking forward to that yeah um i'm actually gonna go uh, next with mine and my third choice uh, is actually that corsair model as well jay um I-, I tell you what if they did a full army of those the the, the right eldar look for me you mentioned it. I really like the Urain, and I was really tempted previously to do a Yanari army, a Yanari army, <laughs> um, but I, I've I've never really pulled trigger. I, I had a very small Ulfwer force that we started. I think it was part of one of the contrast challenges that we did, um, which was really fun, but it didn't really tick the right boxes for me. Whereas I think if I could run a full Yanari army that you know had like corsairs in it um then that that would be very very tempting i love the pirate i love the pirate look i love his sword um it looks it looks really really cool he is really cool if you um you can buy like the triumvirate of um anari which is obviously the 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 seer uh the incarn and then and then the uh which is like the bodyguard sort of 
mm. leader sort of model. And he, he shares a few similarities with the Corsair. So I think in the in the background, the law, um, the, obviously the, the, the Eldar used to be one united race of people. And then after the fall, they branched off into these distinct sort of factions, sub-factions of Eldar, the Drukhari, the Eldari, um, sort of Azayani, Craftworld Eldar, the Exodites, the Harlequins. But those Corsairs and, and to a degree the Vizark, they sort of retain some of the style armor and style weaponry that you would imagine pre-fall original Eldar would go to war looking like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think that would be a really, really cool sort of theme for uh, like you say, an Inari army to sort of give it its own identity uh, yeah. because Inari is all, all about uniting those Eldar factions again, isn't it? Into one, yeah. one united Eldar force. So that would be cool. Yeah. Be- Especially with the, the various uh, kits they've got recently, like the Dark Reapers and the Incubi having helmetless options to use them in an Inari army. Yeah, yeah that would be pretty it, yeah. cool. Yeah. I, I quite but, like on this model as well. On the, on the I don't know if you've seen the little teaser video that Gaming Virtual did, but it fulfills the super niche Venn diagram of pirate, ninja, and alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be very dangerous for me if um, we see more, because I think that this will be the only Corsair unit we see in this book for now. You know, I think obviously in a few years time when we get another um, yeah. Eldar book, we're going to see the Corsairs expanded on. That's when it's going to start getting dangerous for me, I think. Well, well, the Corsairs used to have a fully playable list in um, the Forge World um, book, which featured the um, Craftworld Mimera, is it? The the blue and white Craftworld. Um, and that's not too old a book. And obviously, along with that book, you did get, I mentioned it earlier, the, the Eldar Corsair squad. So there's like a foot base squad, a, a squad with, with like. Um, uh, like a jetpack type thing. Um, there were the bikers, the hornets. Um, so you know they did they did have a, a playable list at one point. Um, so it's not not without outside the realms of possibilities. I mean them and exodites, you know, are the two sort of Eldar factions that that have the potential to be fleshed out in the future. Mm. Mm. Um, that lead goes on to uh, my my second choice, which hasn't been mentioned yet. I'm going to delve into the mortal realms because. The Nighthorn are getting some reinforcements. Uh, in particular, the Scriptor Mortis. Um, so cool. This thing looks so cool. It's it's basically a, a, an undead librarian. Um, it's got <laughs> a massive book. He's kind of got multiple arms holding his lanterns and his candles. And he's got a big quill. The, the teased during the, the LVO show that... Um, he was going to be debuffing your character. You're not really going to want to see this guy in combat. And when you look at the model, you can see why. You know, he's, I can't see any weapons on there. Um, but he, he's he's very good at debuffing enemy characters and stuff. Um, so you, you know what I really like about this guy? He literally puts enemy characters on the naughty list. That is his job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So an absolutely incredible model, um, and it's good to see the Nighthorn getting some love so soon in like the edition of the game. So yeah, it's been very... a while, hasn't it? I mean, they were the beginning of second edition, really, when they had their last proper update, wasn't it? Mm. And then they kind of they've just been left, haven't they? I think that's that's how it feels anyway. Um, they've not really been expanded upon, uh, but yeah, he's 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 super cool. And, and to round out my top three, my top choice. Um, has got to be. I mean, it's a model I'll probably never buy, but boy, oh boy, he would look great on my shelf. That's Cabanda. Oh, 
This oh is the model that, unfortunately, days. I probably am going to buy. <laughs> oh, my days. This model is incredible. I mean, I love the Bloodfesters anyway. When I look at Chaos for Age of Sigmar and 40k, I'm always drawn to corn demons because of, like, the Bloodfesters. All the plastic Bloodfesters are ace. I love Scarbrand. And then you see this guy, and you're like, oh, it's just, I, I need him. He's just, he's incredible. <laughs> um <laughs> He is is absolutely superb. I'm sure he's gonna appear in Matt's top three. So, um, I'm not you know, to, to, to me, they just looks somehow about his back just doesn't look quite right to me. It looks a bit too straight. Video, have you seen the video with the 360 spin round of it? No, I mean, I mean, it doesn't look. It, in my mind, Cabanda's back should be split in two. <laughs> you know, this, is true. This, is this is true this is true um yeah i mean i'm, I'm gonna jump in here so obviously i've, I've got the forge world exalted bloodthirster i suspect this guy might be smaller than him i hope he isn't but i suspect he's a little bit because that, that's a big bloodthirster isn't it the exalted one mm. yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the kind of like yeah i mean he's been he's been a cabanda standing for a long time hasn't he mm. Yeah, well, in my mind, he's always been Cabanda um, in the absence of an official model. But I do think he's a bit unwieldy on the tabletop with his long whip. As yeah, impressive a model he is on your shelf, I think the new Cabanda sculpt is obviously going to be a lot easier to actually get to the table. And I think for that reason, you're going to enjoy using him a lot more because you can move him around and things like that. And I think he still looks like he's a fair size, to be fair. I, I, oh, yeah, think, I think he's... Yeah, he's going to be more in line with the with the plastic bloodthirst, isn't the the look of them and the armor panels. They've done a really clever thing with the whip on this one that it kind of rather than going out in front of him, which like you say, Jay, is always a problem when we play back from you know yeah. Warhammer Fantasy that whip got in the way. Where now the whip's kind of like pulled back and goes like underneath the model, so it doesn't get in the way of things, which is really clever design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's beautiful. He's resin. He's the biggest and most expensive Ford World character series model. I think the the exalted one's about 160 quid. <laughs> um, it it wouldn't surprise me if this guy's like 200 quid based on the fact that a Primark's 86 quid. I think. Yeah. Wow. That's the expensive scenic base for Sanguinius size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had to. Just think, one. just think if the of the conversion you could do because Sanguinius is kind of like lunging down with his spear. Oh yeah. Model. yeah. You could, you could easily yeah. get the two of them fighting. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I bet we might see some cool golden demon entries, mm. dioramas. The the words conversion and then a two hundred pound model just aren't part <laughs> of my vocabulary. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. Can you imagine madness? Oh, I've chopped too much off. <laughs> Mind <laughs> in the bin. Um, Andy, can we have your top three reveals? So. My third choice is, funnily enough, the model we've just been talking about, <laughs> and that's Cabanda. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really much more I can say other than he's a giant bloodthirster who looks awesome. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, when when I saw it and I saw the rules for 40K and Age of Sigmar, um, all of a sudden I looked at a model. I mean, the model's gorgeous, but if it's not a model that I'm – I can use then I'm I'm usually like mm, yeah okay cool um but when I saw that and, and realized you could use him in age sigma I'm 40k all of a sudden looked at him and thought he, again he, he he doesn't look like he's going to be as cumbersome as the big exalted bloodthirster which I think is a bit too big for me um mm. so yeah looking at him he, 
I mean, he's drop dead gorgeous model, isn't he? Really. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and and until your top choice, then I was like, I can't believe none of you have mentioned him. What what's <laughs> going on? Um, <laughs> but yeah, he he's my third choice. Um, my second choice is um, I I did have the the night haunt guy, the Bayon of the withered quill. I think his name is the, the guy you mentioned, Dave. Scriptomortis, um, yeah. Yeah, um, but I've changed it to the Craven Throne Guard. Um, ghosts and he's, with crossbows. Ghosts I mean, with crossbows. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to play Nighthorn back in second edition, just before second edition came out, and then for about a year when after second edition came out. And one thing that you did miss out on was a shooting phase. And looking at the models... First off, they're not on easy to build bases, which is great because you've got like the Mirmorn Banshees and the um, Glaive Wraith Stalkers, who are, are both gorgeous models, but I hate the easy to build scenic bases that they're on. Um, so when I saw these and looked at them, I mean, they don't look incredibly difficult to paint, but they still look gorgeous models. Like, I mean, the, the crossbows, super cool. They're all carrying um, quills round with them. And then, you know, some of them have got sort of like this medieval looking helmets to them. Yeah, they oh, look really yeah. cool. Yeah. And yeah. and even the banner looks cool with the ivory sort of like growing around the banner, which looks awesome. Can we, can we give a shout out to the standard bearer for the sassiest ghost in the mortal realms, oh. just casually leaning against his uh, banner bowl? You want to <laughs> model him with a cigarette in his mouth, don't you? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I think these these were definitely my second choice just because of, like I said, I, I used to play Nighthorn and I sold the army because I just fell out of love with it. And looking at these guys, I'm just like, it's got me excited about them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and yeah, it, hopefully there's more models, but you know, who knows? Um, and then my first choice, uh, I think it has to be said for me personally, it's the most gorgeous model in the range um and that's morgan roth um i'm not a massive eldor fan if i'm being honest i prefer the drukari um over normal craftwood eldor but yeah that morgan raw model that that there's not a huge amount of models that i look at and think you know what i would build paint that and spend weeks painting it up just for it to sit in my cabinet sort of thing i'm i'm more of a sort of painter that paints to get models on the table sort of thing mm. um and while it doesn't persuade me to start a full-blown craft world army that that is just such a gorgeous looking model i mean how he's holding his sort of like reaper um gun with a big siphon uh, siphon and then how he's sort of just standing on top of the eldar ruins and the cloaks of you know flowing around him he looks super imposing and when you compare him to his previous model which i yeah. think came on a 25 mil base was it, it? yeah it did yeah yeah i've got a couple can... of the old phoenix laws upstairs like i say i used to have him but i can't find him anymore but yeah they, i've got like a zoom upstairs i think i've got um Barahoff upstairs and they're tiny <laughs> and these are like in the law these are the equivalent of like the primarchs for the for the eldar you know the founders yeah. of the aspect shrines wearing armor with the souls of well, reincarnated souls. Um, so yeah, it's 
it's good to see them get a model that you know represents that in the law yeah yeah definitely excellent matt that just leaves you to wrap us up with your your top three yeah so what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna touch on some of the ones that we didn't didn't feature first give them a give them a shout out and then yeah go into my top three so first of all he's got the only the only old arm model i didn't make jay's list and i'm sure he would have squeezed it in if he could but the yeah uh, the, the shining spears they look pretty nice they've got kind of like a big crest on the front of them i think it's an air brake or something that kind of rises <laughs> up from the uh mm. the canopy it's they're not a million miles away from previous jet bikes that we've seen uh, but again they've just modernized it and and kind of brought it up to date haven't they i don't know you've got anything to add on these guys jay yeah but they're really really cool um obviously the shiny spears that we had the new wind runners and the new um uh, say councils on jet bikes previously plastic updates i think that was a codex or two back when they refreshed them but the shiny spears were still the old um fine cast on plastic, the old plastic jet bikes are just you know n- nowhere near appropriate enough for a for an aspect warrior squad uh, and these ones yeah they're really cool i mean the bikes are very similar to the sort of more stubby nose sort of shroud runner looking bike that we got but obviously only one seater um and the studio have pulled off like the most crisp white color scheme you could ever dream of nice, trying to it? achieve yourself um no idea how they've managed to do that it looks like they've printed it out on white plastic the sprue was white or something i don't know <laughs> um but yeah really really cool so these shiny spears they um they're sort of like your monster hunters, tank hunters, the sort of the aspect of like the noble knight. Um, and they sort of have that sort of um, look to them. You know, you can imagine the jet bike is the equivalent of a, of, a, of, a, of a steed and they use their laser lances and star lances as they charge into combat. But even their weaponry, the old laser lances and star lances that came on the old shiny spears, they looked a bit rubbish, to be fair. Whereas these ones, they look like almost like mini fusion guns on the end of them. So you can imagine yeah. they're going to really like, pack a punch when they when they uh, arrive in close combat and i really like as well that um i'm not sure if all of them got it or just the 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 um the x arc which is like your squad sergeant um but if you look at the um eldar otarks they have like a shimmer shield and the dire avenger shimmer shield on one of their arms it's like a little um plate that sticks out of their forearm which is traditionally what gives um eldar that wear them they're invulnerable say the shimmer shield save um, so I wonder whether they get a, a kind of invulnerable save now built in rather than having to rely on Exarch powers. Um, sure. That's cool. What I like about these guys as well, like with the other um, aspects that we've seen, they come with optional helmetless heads for use in our army. It's almost as if they've planned that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So we talked about Arena of Souls, the, uh, the Script of Mortis and the Craven Throne Guard. This is the next battle box coming for Age of Sigma. And again, quite a rapid rate of battle boxes coming out. Um, there's quite a lot of stuff in this box. It'll be quite a nice one for players of either of those armies. But the other unique model in this box is the uh, High Gladiatrix, who is a new uh, Witch Elf character. Again, that's that's cool. Adding more character options to the witch elves. I kind of hope that they mix up the rules massively when the new Daughters of Cain battle tone comes out because everyone's sick of seeing the same Marathi and a load of bow snakes armies, aren't they? I actually, um, I didn't dismiss this model for LVO completely, but when I was researching this top three and I was taking a closer look at it, I actually really, really like this model. Um, yeah. I think she's very, very cool. I think what puts me off a, a, a Daughters army is the amount of witch elves that I'd want. I know you obviously, like you say, you could do both things, but 
um, if you wanted this lady, for example, you'd, you'd want her surrounded by witch elves, wouldn't you? Uh, and I don't know if I could build and paint that many thin elves, but she's a, she's a very nice model. Contrast is your friend there, Dave, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely contrast. Yeah. Dead easy one to do with contrast, the uh, the daughters of Cain, yeah. But yeah, she looks really nice. I like the um, the kind of double-ended weapon that she's got rather than the dagger as well. I think that looks cool. Mm. I like the fact that she's got the option for a helmeted face like mm. the rest of the sisters of Slaughter as well, mm. or an unhelmeted head. And the fact that the whip sort of coils around her, I'm just like thinking about her putting her in like an army case or something like that, and I'm like, Thank God she's not got one of these whips that you're gonna catch on a table. Mm. You know what? Similar to the bloodthirster, that's 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 whips designed with keeping this thing in one piece in mind, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Shame they never apply that to the uh, Venari wardens for the Lumineth. Oh my <laughs> days. <laughs> so yeah, so before I jump on my top three, there's one thing I want to give a quick shout out to: interrogator. A Warhammer 40,000 crime noir drama series uh, animated. It's it's aimed at adults, not suitable for kids. I really like the sound and the look of this. It's all in black and white. Think gritty crime drama happening on a planet. People are probably going to get murdered. It's going to be a bit grim. I am really looking forward to this. I mean, I love the Inquisition anyway, and it's it centres around an interrogator who's like an Inquisitor in training. Um, this uh, looks like it's going to play with your mind. It's very much Sin City, like you were um, saying, Matt. Yeah, really looking forward to this. Uh, and for a first for Warhammer Plus, it's, it's a bit of a disclaimer. It features uh, violence and four-lettered words that may not be appropriate for all listeners. So that's uh, a surprising one, really. So, yeah, so if, if, if you complain that there's no adult content on Warhammer Plus, this might be the option for you. But without further ado, let's run through my top three. A lot of these we've already covered. In third place, we've got the Scriptum Mortis. It's a spooky ghost with a candelabra on its back. I mean, what's not to love there? In second place, we've got Cabanda, the big boy himself. He's looking forward to getting battered by Sanguinius in a future game of Horus <laughs> But number one, number one got me so, so, so very excited. Now, regular listeners of all know, I'm kind of the resident kind of Necromunda nerd, aren't I? I love me a bit of Necromunda, the lore, the models, all of it. But there's one game, there's one game that I loved way more than Necromunda. And that was, coincidentally, a game based on Necromunda. Or it was based on a planned expansion to Necromunda. So back in the day... There was a game called Gorkamorka, which was a uh, a game of vehicular combat, sat in a deserts. You had a gang, you equipped them with weapons. They went on missions. They got more cash to buy more weapons and gangers. Sounds familiar. Yeah, it was basically Necromunda with orcs. Um, they could buy vehicles. There were some cool rules where every member of your kind of party had to be able to get physically on a truck or have mm-hmm. a bike to ride otherwise they'd be left behind because you know the desert's a dangerous place mm. so gork Mork was born of an idea for necromunda called ash wastes which the the idea is that we've got the various kind of spires on necromunda but between them it's just like a harsh hellish wasteland where um 
kind of polluted weird Mad Max. Yeah, polluted Mad Max styles. Various outlaw gangs live out there. And the idea was that it was going to be a game system that you do vehicles and do battles and stuff outside of, ne- you know, the spires of Necromunda and living out in these deserty areas where the Ash Wasters, who were, are they Xenos? Are they human? Nobody quite knows. They look like a mirage. You can't really see them. They had weird, like, pack animals and stuff. And won't you know it, they had an animated trailer showing off just a tease of Necromunda ash wastes. Now, we see a couple of things in the video, such as a massive articulated land train thing, which coincidentally we have seen in a rumour engine recently, which looks like it's hauling a combination of Munitorum containers and kind of, I guess, boxes for guys to go in. And I can imagine each gang being built around having one of these big, like, let's call it a lorry for want of a better word, loaded up with gangers. Or there could be special scenarios where you're trying to get water or guns or equipment or something to a to a hive and you get ambushed by another another party. Speaking of the ambushers in the trailer, we see some of these ash wasters. And again, you can't really they're all a bit fuzzy. You can't quite see them. They're really quick and. You you mentioned they looked a bit old, REJ. Well, I mean, I, I I've been trying to get into Necromunda for a long time now, and just not been gripped by it, and and not been motivated enough to play it. But if these guys look as good as they look in the silhouettes we've seen, and yeah, I mean, the, the, when you started talking about Mirage and all the outlines are a bit hazy, are they deploying some kind of technology to sort of mask their appearance and location? I think, and it just it just reminded me of Eldar Hollowfields, really. Yeah, and that's it. a lot of the stuff in Necromunda is kind of reverse engineered or bodge technology from other races, isn't it? And a couple of years ago, there was some concept art of, of the Ash Wasters. And interestingly, they're drawn in the same style. So I'd love to see some models sculpted in such a way that they look like distorted and mirage-like. We know they can do some really cool stuff with models like, um, what's his name? Eltharian, who's hollow. Yeah, the Necron Range has got the weird sort of particle effects on it. Yeah, so that'd be a really cool range where you can't quite tell what they are. And again, yeah. that's a different a different look for Necromunda, which captures people that don't maybe like the more industrial, gritty side of it. You go for the wacky, more, I guess, Dune-like sci-fi. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am super excited for this. Bearing in mind, it was only a, a um, animated trailer, so we haven't seen any models yet. So that probably puts it outside my three-month window that I usually have for these things. It'll probably be followed up at the next preview seminar they do with maybe some model shots of that big truck. I assume we'll see some like buggies and bikes and stuff. Matt, yeah, lots to get excited about here. Honestly, Matt, I mean, this was going to be my top three, but I knew how super pumped you were to talk about it. So I thought <laughs> I'll mention something else instead. That's why the Corsair stuck in. However, I, honestly, I watched that trailer and I was like, I really want to play Necromunda. I really want because I've been I've been kind of like I've been wanting to do the Orlocks and actually do I do something else? I really want to do my Orlocks now because I think they in their book um, they talk a lot about vehicles and stuff, uh, and I'm already thinking like I could get some easy little bikes and and do some convert easy conversions of Orlock and um, mm-hmm. bodies and stuff on Ridge Runners and Goliath trucks. Um, if we're you know if we can do that kind of thing so yeah i'm with you this is gonna be ace yeah it it, it mixes up because obviously next one just you know about tight confines but they've been quite 
clever where you can have kind of zone mortalis super tight or you can use sector mechanicus and have a bit you know have it a bit looser this goes to the other extreme where you've got you know a desert with some like you know a little oasis and some rocky outcrops and it's all about fast moving vehicles and yeah i'm i'm excited to see what we get yeah really really pumped to see this um, it'll be interesting to see what you guys have picked as part of your top three, which we're going to find out a little bit later on. But there is a fairly chunky segment between now and then. It's time to delve into the latest codex for Warhammer 40k, so we'll be right back. So it doesn't feel like five minutes since we were reviewing the Custodes and the Gene Sealer Cult. Um, codexes for Warhammer 40k but we do have another brand new codex in our midst and it is the Tau Empire now um, this has been quite hotly anticipated because from, from I mean I've not played the Tau for a very long time but I believe they were they were struggling in the sort of competitive sense um, in with the current rules with the, the old codex I think that's fair I think the problem you had Jay what was putting you off playing with them at club nights and stuff is that their, their rules were all over the place yeah you needed a couple of different books uh, and they weren't the easiest of rules to digest i didn't think uh, i think they weren't the easiest rules to use they had a lot of abilities and things that triggered in weird sort of um you know they had weird sort of implementations of the rules that the, the bonuses you got at the beginning monk car was it in kion i found i always forgot um it wasn't an enjoyable book to use not for me that's a subjective opinion i guess but yeah, there were there were certain aspects that I think like list building you had to have loads of marker lights to get the plus one ballistic skill, but then you needed five on a unit to get it. There was just a few things that just didn't click um, for me. Um, so then the new book landed, and uh, we're not we're not going to do a full deep dive on the podcast. We, we've done a full video, we've done a full write up on the on the website. You can check both of those out. I'll put the links in the description um, below uh, on the on the podcast notes. But what we are going to do um, between me and Jay, uh, uh, pick, uh, picking out some of the, the bits that we like from the book, maybe a couple of bits that, you know, we may not like so much. Um, but overall, I think the feeling is this is going to be a, a very strong book. And if you're not a Tav fan, you might still want to know a few of the details that are in this book, because I think you're going to be facing a few Tau players along the way at different events yeah i think uh i think we might see a lot of new tower armies uh pop up in the near future yeah so um i think what we'll do jay is we'll we'll, we'll, we'll pick a couple of the key mechanics to to chat about um sort of like our, our the best changes that we feel is there any one change that you wanted to talk about first well, yeah, I mean, the, 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 one of the, the big improvements for me is those aforementioned rules I talked about before, Monk, Car and Kayan, or Kaoyan, I don't know how you pronounce it. So previously, these were two abilities that you could uh, activate as a, I think it was a once per game bonus, wasn't it? And they were quite restrictive and they didn't really grant great bonuses. I think, you know, if you stood still, units around your commander could re-roll or something like that. Yeah. Um, they I didn't really like them. Um They've been completely revamped in the new book, and now I believe uh, is it after deployment or or just before the game starts, you you choose which one of these sort of um, ways of fighting you want to want to um, use for that game, the the Kayan or the uh, Monk Car. I think um, you can choose as late as 
after the dice roll off. Um, right. If you keep on talking about it, I'll double check that. Yeah. So basically, they 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 basically one of them provides um, a bonus in turns one, turn two, and turn three that gets incrementally better. I think you get increased AP, I believe, the closer you get to the enemy. So it really favors yeah. an aggressive sort of play style. The, the the AP stays the same, so you get an extra pip of AP. Um, but what you also get, um, you get two other things. So you get, um, if you make a normal move or, or an advance, you, you class as being stationary, which is amazing if you've got, like, heavy weapon broadsides and stuff. You know, they don't care. They could advance them up and still fire at full ballistic skill. Um, and also, uh, if you're within range of um, your target and it's the closest eligible target, then you get reroll wound rolls of one. And also, actually, um, that's you need to be the closest enemy unit for the AP as well. Um, but but still incredibly powerful. Yeah. So it favors a very aggressive in your face mobile, so, which is great when you want to aggressively move on to those objectives midfield to claim them for your secondaries and your primaries whilst you know not sacrificing your firepower um which is obviously the tower's main strength um and then the the other option you've got um you get um a an effect in turns three four and five and uh the later the game goes on the stronger that effect gets and this is actually my favorite one and it's basically exploding hits and it starts off in turn, um, and I think is it against the closest unit as well? I think Dave. It is, yeah. So yeah, in, it, in the third battle round, any unmodified hit rolls of six against, against the closest eligible target becomes two hits. And that goes up to a, on a four plus in turn five. That's right, yeah. Um, um, and also not forgetting, um, you can fall back and shoot. Yeah. So and and so these two different sort of army wide bonuses that you get, irrespective of what kind of faction of Tau you're playing, um, combined with the different stratagems, the different secondary objectives, I think you can come up with a really really cool sort of strategy for your game based on those two. So rather than being sort of oh I've forgotten to use that ability this game, every game I've got to use those abilities. Now I think you sort of build your battle plan around them, um, and I really like them. I really really like them. And I was I was right. You can you can choose which tactical philosophy you want to go into after the dice roll off. So if you get turn one, you could go right. I'm gonna allow. I'm gonna go monk car. Um, I'm gonna be in your face, um, taking out key units. I I like I I like the rule. I like what we've done. Uh, I I don't know if I like the fact that they're giving you benefits of a game going to turns four and five because a lot of the time i find that games typically don't go past turn three maybe turn four yeah but um, i think i think if you look at some of the secondaries in this codex and some of the stratagems in this codex as well which plug into those two main sort of ways of fighting you can get you can change your game plan you can be a bit more reserved with your army, hide it out of line of sight, keep it in the devil fishes, hide it in the manta strike so you bring it down in turn three um, to drag the game out to those turn, turn four and five, and then you capitalise on that those bonuses so that you're really, you know, you, you, you're doing most of your damage in turn four and turn five. Um, and like I say, the secondaries as well sort of favour the play styles, depending on which. So the secondaries score more points it, the K-On sort of, if you're in the K-On one at the end of the game rather than at the beginning so you don't really need to worry about getting onto those objectives straight away whereas if you choose the Moncar uh, sort of way of fighting the secondaries give you more points if you can get onto those objectives early on in the game 
Um, I think yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't read this book yet, but anything that encourages people to play through a full game gets points in my book. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the things that really excited me about the Magakin book. That's the sort of book that you're going to be going for turn four, turn five. It's going to be a full game. So, yeah, anything that encourages that is, you know, two, two thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like with Jay, I never remembered to use the, the old rules. Um, and, and everything in your army, as long as you've got obviously all your attachments built right, apart from auxiliaries, um, which are basically your Vespids and your crew, um, get to use these rules. But I think if you play a certain sept, I think it's Dalneth, um, they're like the port kind of sept. I think even your auxiliaries then get to take advantage of those philosophies. So, um, yeah, it's really good. Do you know my favourite game mechanic change uh, in this book has to be and i've already mentioned them once the marker lights mm. so previously you know you would you're giving up a lot of your shooting to buff the rest of your army uh and it just it just never felt right i mean when was the last time jay you fired a pulse carbine from your pathfinders never fired a pulse carbine pathfinders the- there was no point. The, 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 they were there purely to roll for mark lights. It was, it was a frustrating system. Instead, now, um, at the beginning of your movement phase, you declare your mark light actions. Um, so, for example, if you have a Cadra Fireblade, at the beginning of the movement phase, he would declare this action. It obviously would mean he would be able to move for the, the rest of that um, movement phase but he started the action. There are a wide variety of ways in this book where you can actually perform action, perform actions and still move and shoot and stuff. So that's not a particular problem. Also, if you're a drone or a vehicle, you can declare the mark like action, but still move as normal. And if you're a pathfinder or dark stride, the special character, you can actually perform the action at the end of the movement phase. So there's lots of ways around it. Because I, I know that the first thing people were saying was like, it'll be easy for your opponent to kind of stay out of line of sight of mark lights if you have to do it at the beginning of the phase. Um, but there are multiple ways around that. Um, you know, in it's, particular um, Pathfinders. Yeah, that's right. That's the thing as well. I think this book's really good in that it does give you multiple ways to achieve the same result, which is great. But it's um, the mark light thing. It's a keyword now, isn't it, on the on the data sheets? Yeah. And the actions tied to the keyword. So things like marker light, uh, marker drones, pathfinders, like you say, have this marker light keyword. Yeah. So when the action is completed, which is at the start of your shooting phase, um, you choose your eligible targets, uh, and then um, you roll a d6. So say for example, Matt has a, a unit of um, I don't know, uh, Chaos Space Marines. I've got my, my Pathfinders, I've got a unit of 10 Pathfinders. I might say five of those Pathfinders are going to try and put marker lights on those Chaos Space Marines, while the other five are going to put them on the Chaos Champions that are next to them. You then roll the first five dice for the Chaos Space Marines, and any that are a free plus is a successful marker light hit. For each hit that you then get, basically a unit can then fire against that unit and, and get plus one ballistic skill so you've got a unit of crisis suits next to your pathfinders they now want to shoot at those chaos space marines you expend one of those mark light tokens so say for example you rolled four free ups you would then go down to three free ups left on that unit but your crisis suits would get to hit a plus one ballistic skill um 
and that also means that your, your your pathfinders who previously would just be firing mark lights in the shooting phase have suddenly can go wow i've actually got a gun that i can what, fire and do 20 strength with. five shots here i can make yeah yeah um and I think it makes, um, you know, drones have a, a lower ballistic skill, but you don't need to worry about that if your marker lights are in action. Um, and also, it's not it's not complicated. There's no complicated chart where, like, if you get one marker no. light, you can fire this, or you can all light cover. It's just plus one ballistic skill. That is it. Yeah, a lot of those effects as well used to be able to get, like, reroll ones to hit, reroll ones to wound, plus one to wound, ignore cover, are baked into different stratagems and unit rules now as well, yeah, and aura awesome. effects. There's yeah. tons of aura effects and bonuses like that to your shooting, which is which is really cool. Yeah, I, I like the fact that they've, because obviously the whole thing with towers, they are a shooting army, isn't it? And I like the fact that they've they've kind of given them that three plus ballistic skill, but they haven't baked it into the actual data sheets. You know, you you, you do require some planning, synergy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably the best way of doing it without making them too strong. So I like yeah. that. I think we've done it the right way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's important to, obviously, with all these changes and things, it's important to note stuff that, that isn't there. Um, for the greater good, which for the past few editions has been like their major mechanic, their Overwatch mechanic where units can support and fire on Overwatch, That's that's gone now, hasn't it, Jay? Yeah, that's right. So um, they they follow the same restrictions as any other army in regards to Overwatch. Although I think there is a stratagem, or some units have some um, war gear upgrades they can take to make them Overwatch on a five plus rather than a six plus. Yeah, early warning uh, device basically is so um, it brings the Overwatch stratagem down to zero CP for that unit uh, and allows you to hit on fives rather than sixes, um, which is really cool. Obviously you're still using the overwatch stratagem so that's going to be once per phase um but you're getting a bit of the old tower hitting on fives on overwatch um back. But, you know what I, I quite like that because okay we've got the argument if they're not very good in combat they want any psychic so he buffs the shooting but you don't want that to be at the detriment of assault armies not being able to get to you so yeah, while yeah. you can overwatch a unit you're still vulnerable to the next unit that comes yeah, and I mean, Dave, you 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 have uh, faced the wrath of a Tau Sept over overwatching with like three units. Uh, you know, it, it, your tyrannies could never get into combat with the Tau. No, it wasn't I remember, very fun. I remember one game we had, and I think I I tried to send, I think it was either my Broodlord or something in that ignored. I can't remember what it was now. Uh, all I remember is like my genes is going in, all dying. Okay, and my tyranny warriors will go in, died. But there's, there was no, you know, tyranny want to be in combat just because I've lost the unit. You know, I still need to charge them in. I need to get them into combat, and it just wasn't happening. Um, so yeah, it, it obviously calms that down. Um, in that regard and tau aren't without the tricks in combat okay they're not a combat army certainly their strength isn't combat but they've got a lot of ways now to sort of reduce the impact of an enemy charge reducing the attacks of the unit that are charging um knocking off aura effects for a unit they, you know so they may get into combat but they're not re-rolling all their hits or re-rolling their wounds and things like that Mm. Um, obviously you've got your crisis suits now can fire in combat there's a strat to turn their weapons into pistol weapons so they can fire yeah. in combat um, you've got strats to let them fall out of combat and fire 
Um, and you've got the ethereal buffs, the ethereals, um, the whole way they, they their aura, um, what they, they, the incantations or invocations of the elements. Invocations. How good are, are ethereals now? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you want to take, unless you're playing Farsight Enclaves, which you can't unfortunately take an ethereal if you go that way. You, it, it, as long as you're not playing Enclaves, I think you're always going to be taking an ethereal because they're just too good. They, 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 the, the invocations they can do, which they do on a three plus or a two plus, if you're using a, a certain relic called the humble stave. Um, they're like just chaplains, so aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, my favourite, I think, is the one that gives you a command point on a on a three plus ordinarily, but you take the humble stave. It's on a two plus, you get a command point, which is great because I think sometimes I I'm a bit disappointed when I get to the stratagems page, especially after Psychic Awakening. I think we had some really really cool stratagems for certain armies in Psychic Awakening, and for some codexes, it's always been a bit oh how many stratagems have they removed? Because they have tried to strip them down a bit, but on the whole, I think the tower have come off quite well in that regard. That all of their stratagems, I think, are brilliant. Yeah, the, the, I think there's maybe two that I can't really see myself using. The rest of them, which, like you say, unlike a lot of the, the, the previous codexes, you're like, yeah, I would use that. Oh, yeah, absolutely, I'd use that in that situation. Um, it, it's it's a really... And I think they're all costed quite well as well. Some are quite expensive, but then they, they, they needed to be. Yeah, going back to the Ethereal, they, they, they also have a rule so you select a unit and that unit can fall back and shoot. Like you say, Jay, it all it all helps kind of the combat um, phase kind of aspect of the army. Um, it, obviously, we've seen on Warcom a lot of previews about how their weapons have all been buffed. I mean, I don't think there's a weapon here that's not been touched in some shape or form, but they needed it because they don't have a psychic phase. They, they don't really have a combat phase at all. Um, so they needed, you know, the shooting phase, they need to own that phase. And like you said, Andy, you don't just want to make them all free plus ballistic skill because they're it, 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 looking too much like a space marine kind of shooting or, or like Imperium. So like, I think, yeah, they, they've got the balance just just right. What I will mention about combat, though, um, is something that um, I've realised as I was looking through, like, all like the relics and stuff you can give. I don't know if you realise this, Jay, but you can actually make a really good close combat commander. <laughs> the honor honor good gauntlet, honor gauntlet. Yeah. So that is a um a relic um which makes um you, you get you get all your base attacks off your commander, which I think is four attacks. They're at strength twelve, minus four AP and flat damage free. Which is amazing. Yeah, but then what you can cool. also give him is a prototype system. So whereas like in Space Marines, you can pay for upgrades to make like your apothecary, a chief apothecary or uh, a chief chaplain or whatever it's called. Instead with the Tau, you can buy prototype systems. So these, you could have a commander with a prototype system and a relic if you wanted, as long as you're paying obviously the points for it. There is a prototype system called the Thermo... I'll try and read this right. You know what I'm like with pronunciation, uh, pronunciations. <laughs> Thermoneutronic projector, okay? This is basically a flamer. So it's a flamer that's a 12-inch range, assault D6 plus 2 attack, strength 4, minus 2 AP, flat 2 damage, which is which is ace. It's a really, really cool flamer. But then it's got a little knob on it that you turn, and it turns into a close combat weapon. And it's a close <laughs> combat weapon that is made in addition to the attacks that your commander would have, so say your commander fights with your Omega Gauntlet, does a load of damage. He then gets a further D6 plus 2 attacks with this, only at strength 4, 
But still, again, minus two AP and flat two damage. You don't <laughs> so want to mess with a guy with a thermonuclear projector on his back. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and there's, there's, I mean, there's so many cool prototype systems in here. Jay, I know you're a big fan of the uh, the Nova Surge plasma rifle. Yeah, so, well, plasma rifles have uh, uh, been improved. So they're now strength eight, I believe. Assault yep. one, 30 inches. AP minus four, damage three, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, so they're brilliant. So I mean, uh, crisis suits on with these things are, are ace. Uh, crisis suits overall, I think, are, are a great unit now, which is awesome for Tau. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Nova Surge um, plasma rifle is basically the same thing, but it ignores invulnerable saves. Um, <laughs> which is, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of weapons in this book that ignore invulnerable saves. Um, which mm. I, I'm not a massive fan of invulnerable saves being ignored, but the Nova Surge rifle is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very very cool. My favorite, I think, is the um, the resonator warheads, which it replaces a missile pod. It's an extra. So missile pods are now uh, assault two, um, strength. I think that's strength seven minus two AP and flat two damage. The resonator warheads are an extra attacks so are assault three. They're strength eight to an extra pip of strength. Same AP minus two flat damage two. But as long as you hit with this weapon. It halves the movement of the unit you fired at, as long as it's got the infantry beast or cavalry keywords. Yeah, and I think that's really cool. Um, that and the iron weapons, I think, are you know they're the they're the pieces of tech you take. I think when you're you're playing a proper cunning strategic game, they're the ones that are going to win you matches in tournaments and things like that. I think where you can disrupt enemy movement, disrupt enemy aura effects, rather than just doing outright damage. Absolutely giving your opponent something to think about, uh, really, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, you could, you know, who cares if you've got a really souped-up squad of, I don't know, Death Guard Terminators if they can't actually make it into combat? No. No, it's a really good example, actually, because they've only got a four-inch movement. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Which is great, because that's what the Tower are about, you know. They they have to use the tools they've got to even the odds. Um, well, these They've still got quite a few sort of ways of kind of dipping in and out of the board as well, haven't they? Um, especially if you're sort of within the board edges. Uh, I know a, a Devilfish is um, can now as well. Um, you ghost kills. And you've actually got a secondary objective which plays to that, which I thought was quite a clever one that I might try when I obviously try this army out for the first time uh, in ninth, um, where you're installing relays. So at the beginning of the game, you almost have four extra objective markers halfway down each battlefield edge and as the town player what i'm trying to do is assemble a recon point onto that and then you, obviously at the end of the game then you tot up how many times you manage to do that and you can get between two and 14 points on your secondary um which i thought was really really cool what about the um crusade content so um the crusade content is actually an interesting one um, i meant to mention um at the top of the podcast that I'm going to be creating a Crusade army with the tab, starting with the Combat Patrol box. And I'm going to be covering the Crusade content, hopefully over the next few weeks and months, um, really delving into what kind of fun you can do with it. But just for the, the sake of, obviously, this podcast, um, you have um, the main mechanic is you you have a system of planets which you generate with, within this book. So you're generating, like, its inhabitants, what kind of world it is. It is like, is it a mining world? Is it a shrine world? 
Um, and then the, the, the whole purpose is you want, you need to take over that planet and eventually take over the system by the means of military might or by diplomacy. This is exactly the kind of narrative content I want in these books, rather than just like, way you've killed a unit, you've gained an upgrade kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, see, I like that the, the headers for the planet types seem to tally with the Gene Stealer Court ones as well. So with a bit of tweaking, you could potentially have a bit of a back and forth there where you're both trying to get the same planets. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, when I come to do mine, I'm, I'm going to be sort of, I don't, I don't think it's cheating because it's narrative, but I'm going to make sure I have a mining world there so that when we're playing that, we've both got like a big overall goal you know you you'll win if you manage to do your uprising and take over the planet and then hello the tyranids arrive um whereas obviously i'm trying to take over um the planet for the for the greater good so um yeah i love that kind of thing i think that's i think that's great i I mean you've still got all the other usual crusade content such as um, agendas and requisitions you know gaining experience upgrading units you've got specific battle traits you've got unique crusade relics um and stuff like that so you've still got the um the crusade content all the other books have but i think it has a really good um specific narrative um mechanic which actually i don't think would be too hard to adapt to other armies as well um no or for that's what i was going to say I was going to say the same thing then. I think it's got the the foundations of a very cool crusade system for any army. Um, I really like how it's been presented in the Tau Codex, um, mm. the crusade section. It's got its own distinct style and uh, the way you um, map out the planets and things and, and put names down and labels and things. I really, really like it. You can tell they put a lot of thought into that. And it's very flavorful as well for the Tau. Yeah. Obviously, you can you can like seek to sort of influence planets with diplomacy and things like this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's very very cool. Um, before I forget, Jay, <laughs> and it's worth um everybody knowing, including Tau players and people playing against Tau. Um, I was watching a battle report earlier on um today. Have you noticed that all the Tau vehicles, when they explode, they do D6 mortal wounds? <laughs> oh, D6. D6 mortal wounds. It's like they've they've got all this advanced technology, you know, all these like art, invulnerable safe piercing rail guns. But they're using nuclear reactors to power them. You, um, you mean you don't roll? They just blow up and do. Oh no, no, you, no, no! You need to obviously roll the six for them to explode. But I think most tanks are D three mortal wounds. I mean, all the books I've currently got a D three, unless they're like you're talking like a super heavy. Um, but no, all the even even just a, a little devilfish does D six mortal wounds. The battle report I watched that the, the guy. Um, didn't realise and end up losing his Cadre Fireblade, his Ethereal, a bunch <laughs> of Fire Warriors, all because his little Devilfish blew up. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Watch <laughs> out insurance that, is so expensive on a Devilfish, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so that's well worth noting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, we could talk about this book for, for ages, but, but we won't. But I think it's safe to say that looking at the data sheets, everything has had some kind of of buff and for me my favorite um improvement is the amount of support systems the likes of your commanders and your crisis suits can take like they've got a lot more flexibility in in in, in the stuff that can be taken on them um even down to the, the storm surge has a built-in invulnerable save now so you're not having to waste a support system to give it one um so that means you can give it you know target locks and stuff like that um, which I think is really, really good. 
Um, I don't know what your view on this is, but if you want to... So I know a popular build for the Cold Star Battlesuit in the old book was to slap four fusion blasters on it and send it up the board tank hunting. You can still do that, but for each time you duplicate a weapon, it gets more and more expensive. Um, I don't know if you spotted that uh, and if you agree with it, but I, I think they'll obviously the whole idea behind that is to try and prove not they don't want you to not do it, but they're trying to get you to put different weapons on there, make them a lot more like flexible. Yeah, like a Swiss Army knife, like for not just into one kind of function. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that? I think it's like um, like the opposite of economies of scale, isn't it? The four fusion blasters on one unit is probably worth more than the points cost of four fusion blasters, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, you're guaranteeing at least one or two hits are going to get in through, and that means you're going to be able to basically destroy a vehicle when you fire at it rather than if you're firing with one fusion gun you may wound it you may not you may only do a few wounds to it um mm. so i can see why they've done that and i remember back in third edition and fourth edition you used to have different points cost for a las gun or a twin link las gun at uh, last cannon and things like that so that sort of makes sense to me i think um and i don't think nowadays you need a commander with four fusion blasters i, I think you can spread your anti-tank capabilities af- across i mean your hammerheads a couple of hammerheads now sort of arguably a bit more effective than a commander of the fusion gun well is it, is it we're talking about the elephant in the room what what do we think of weapons that can one-shot vehicles uh see in the same battle report that i um, mentioned a few moments ago the first time he came to fire the hammerhead which was he was super excited to do uh failed to wound <laughs> so it's, it gets um, to re-roll wounds doesn't it <laughs> uh, no it gets to re-roll a hit roll Oh, yeah, we were all a hit roll, that was it. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I was a bit like, that seems a bit much. Um, but it's not an... If it was a very hard tank to take down, then I'd be really concerned. Um, I, I mean, know. if you compare it to, like, Demon Primarchs, a Demon Primarch can kill a vehicle in one combat phase. Yeah. Um, and, and arguably, Demon Primarch, it brings a lot more to the table than a hammerhead. You've got your psychic powers. It's tough to kill. A hammerhead isn't tough to kill. So I think on paper, it looks terrifying. But really, I think it's okay. I think what scares me more is the storm surge in a Borkan sept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, looking at um, like the Purple Sparkle Unicorn Club, you know, giving that a shout out, one of the things we, we pride ourselves on at the club is the amount of line of sight blocking scenery we have. And so I look at the hammerhead and think, okay, yeah, one shot. Yeah, it might one shot a, a tank or whatever. But then is is that because you've thrown your tank out in the open? Uh, which, well, you know. The town have a few tricks in that regard. So yeah. there's a really cool stratagem, uh, warlord trait that I liked, which lets you, after determining who takes the first turn, you can redeploy um, a number of units and depending on which of the um whether you're Montcar or Kion you can deploy more or less. Um so the only real sure way to stop a hammerhead from blowing up an enemy vehicle or a pair of hammerheads blowing up is to keep your vehicle in reserve. And mm-hmm. even that is a small victory for the Tau player because that's one less heavy weapon coming back their way in turn yeah. one. Yeah it was exemplar of the the Kion that you use Jay. Yeah. So it obviously ties in nicely with your um 
your tactical philosophy and that allowed you to to move because it was against um, me and I, you know I tried to keep my dune crawler safe and I didn't know about the fact that you could do that. I mean, there wasn't a really a lot else. There wasn't could a do. lot you could have done. No, no. Um, but you did successfully um, take out my dune crawler in one in one fell swoop. I mean, you, you could argue that we you don't often. I suppose you do. Yeah, we have started seeing a lot more vehicles in. 40k actually taking part now because i think there was a time where people weren't taking them as much and um, people are now so obviously we're going to see a lot of that you mentioned the storm surge jay i think like you say we've got to mention how good that is now um and i'm glad it's good because it's a nice model and it's a shame not to be able to use it it's reasonably priced um and everyone's seen online is it what is it damage 12 gun that it's got uh, yeah. two shots um yeah. if you're in the right um uh, on later on in the game um, you know it's exploding on force to hit against the closest target uh, it's too cheap in my opinion because you know you can squeeze so many of them into a list that the opponent just hasn't got a chance really they're yeah. so resilient uh, they've got so many wounds 2 plus save 4 plus invulnerable save you've got save your protocols that work on it the counter def- fire defense measures which can reduce the damage of an attack coming at it to, to one or zero i can't remember now so if someone does manage to land a hit against it you can just reduce the damage it can fall let's face it it's not it's fire. not hard to have three of them in an army and it costs you one no. cp with the new rules as well now yeah mm. so i i think you're going to see lists taking multiples of them um you can um redeploy all three of them using that that warlord trait we just talked about and, and that warlord trait even lets you put them into reserve for free so ordinarily you'll be paying cp out your ears to put one of those things in reserve but with that mm-hmm. warlord trait you can put it into reserve for free you can put three of them into reserve for free if you're in the k um tactic mm-hmm. which arguably if you're putting stuff into reserve you want to be in because they'll be coming in later in the game um mm-hmm. so i don't know but then on the flip side tau don't have anything else to take out um, demon primarchs they don't have anything else to take out bellicors or bloodthirsters and things like that mm. um but yeah a, a, a little bit of tuning is required i mean we saw the um the kill crusher i mean is it the kill kill killer rig that that's kill very, rig, yeah that's very strong very cheap uh, this is twice well, the cost I mean, of it's, one it's, of them. and also hitting las cannon but that seems uh lightweight compared to the guns that these things have got now yeah i mean jay picked on Borkan uh, as the sept for, with the, for the Storm Surge because of the the two CP experimental weaponry stratagem, which basically you pick a weapon on a unit, uh, that weapon then ignores the invulnerable save. So suddenly your 24 inch focus shot blast cannon at strength 16 minus 4 AP and flat 12 damage is ignoring an invulnerable save. Yeah, I that mean, that that seems a bit bananas from a balance point of view to me personally. Uh, and also, what is, is the cats out the An easy out. fix for that. An easy fix for that is you can't use it on Lord of Wars. Might fix that a little bit. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, it it would be something if like that was the only reason to take Borkan, but it's not because you look at what else the Sept can do, it, it, and I you, actually think it's it's a really good Sept even it, without I, using that. Yeah, it, it, it's between that and the Tau Sept. I think the Tau Sept has more tools in its tool belt, and I think overall you'll have a more flexible army more well-rounded army with a tau set i think the tau is is a is probably my favorite set in the book but borkan seems like the obvious i think in a casual game borkan will be terrifying to fight against because, uh, yeah i mean I, i'm really looking forward to running crisis heavy 
um, armies in Borkan, one of their tenants is each time a ranged attack is made with a weapon that has a strength characteristic of seven or less against a vehicle or battlesuit unit with this tenant, you subtract one from the strength. That could take a, a three plus down to a four plus or, or whatever, depending on what you're shooting at your crisis suits. Yeah. And you're also adding four inches to all the range of your weapons as well with this set. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's got some really cool rules. Yeah, I do. I do like Borkan. Um, I, I think it's up there as the strongest sort of. It's the most aggressive, strong, most offensive um, sept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the Farsight enclaves are that far behind, um, which which I'll just quickly touch on. Um, I think a few people have been disappointed. There's not more Farsight content in here. I think it's fair to say that just as we've seen for the sisters who have now got um, two of their uh what they called orders um, orders uh, expanded within other books we'll see farsight expanded in either a narrative book or maybe his own standalone book or something yeah um, it wouldn't surprise me to see a farsight um kind of expansion book you know with, yeah. with, with profiles for the named you know battle suits and maybe even an upgrade frame to make them look unique that's something they could and throwing a plastic far sight at that point that's a nice mini kind of wave for tower then in the future yeah yep. yeah so um so yeah it's it's, it's a super cool book I, I can't wait to to start when i was writing the review at, uh, of this book and doing the videos and stuff all i wanted to do was paint tau like as much as i enjoyed doing the review I was like, I just want to paint some, and I want to get them on the board, and I want to play with them. Um, yeah, that's what I was saying earlier on. It to me, it's a very, very, very fun book to to read and play with. I think. Yeah, I've really hope... captured how a tower army should play in my. Yeah, I just, I just hope they don't get too much critical feedback because of, and, and, and quite rightly, Matt, you, you're absolutely right. That stratagem is bonkers, and. And a strength 12 railgunning and or invulnerable saves is, is, is scary. Um, but overall, I do think it, it's going to be a fun army and I'm, I'm looking forward to using it for Crusade. And I'm probably like Jay um, used in his game. I think I'll be using this as, as, as a Tau Sept because they're a bit more balanced. They seem like a bit more newcomer friendly. You get some free rerolls in there and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very good Sept. Um, Andy, you've been quite quiet in this section. I, I know you don't play as much 40k as you do AOS, but what are your feelings on, on what you've heard and seen of the Tau? Um, I mean, t- like like you said, Tau were, were one of those armies that was struggling with 9th edition. And by the sounds of it, they've kept the the feel of a Tau. You know, Tau should be this advanced gunline army, right? And it feels like they've brought them into ninth edition in a way that I, I think initially um, when they put the Hammerhead uh, weapon profile up on Warhammer Community, you know, it was the feedback was just like, this is insane. Right. You know, it, it's just over the top. But then you don't know the toughness, the wounds, the armor save, the ballistic skill, the Hammerhead. You don't know the points. You don't know anything. So in isolation, it was definitely, oh, my God, you know, but I think judging by, you know, what you guys have said and uh, sort of like what we've been talking about, I think Tower, they've got the tools to do well, but they're not necessarily going to be 
decimating everything. That's my initial thought. Obviously, you know, three or four months down the line, maybe, you know, I've changed my mind, but it, it sounds like they've written a good, solid, dare I say it, pretty balanced book. But I mean, only time will tell, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're definitely going to see a marked improvement on how the, the tag perform. But yeah, hopefully it, it doesn't go too one side. I know obviously the ad mech had that, didn't they? Where the book came out in a particular build came out in, they were just overperforming, weren't they? Um, yeah. Which they've had to then tone down post book. We'll see. I'm sure they'll get FAQs. Um, we'll just have to see like how severe or you know what gets changed uh, as time goes on. Um, that was that was obviously a, a very quick look. I, look, I could talk about this book all night. It's just so much fun. Um, but we're not going to do that because that would make a really boring podcast. But we have done a written review and a full run-through of the book uh, over on spruceandbrews.com. Make sure you check out that link. Uh, and, uh, yeah, check out the book for yourself. And that's on pre-order right now. It um, comes out at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, make sure you pick up your copy. We're right at the end of this week's podcast, but we do have one final segment left. It is our community top three, and that is coming up next. It is sadly time to wrap up this week's podcast with the community top three picks. And over on Facebook, Nathaniel Nichols, he's gone for a full Eldar showing here. So in third place, he's put the Shining Spears. In second place, he's gone for Morgan Ra. And in first place, as he's put himself, the bloody-handed got himself the one, the only, the Avatar of Cain. He has got an honourable mention, though. He's picked out the Nighthaunt from the new Age of Sigmar battle box, the Scriptor Mortis, and Craven Throne Guard look amazing. Kill Team Ken, well, it's easy when you've got a name called Kill Team Ken. He's gone for Kill Team Stuff, Kill Team Stuff, and obviously the Kill Team Stuff. So we're talking about the Corsair there, aren't we? Uh, finished off on Facebook, Mark Dewhurst. He's gone for, in third place, the Elder Corsair. In second place, Cabanda. And topping his top three is the Avatar of Cain. What have we got over on Twitter, Matt? Well, J- Andrew Jameson says Corsairs, Necromunda Ash Waste. And I'm struggling for a third. It was a slim pickings preview, but the Corsair was the highlight. So it is light on model reveals. LVO isn't always a massive reveal show. Uh, We're probably due another one in a couple of months. So uh, I think it's it's, it's been different in the last few years where we've had lots of smaller previews scattered around rather than a big one. Uh, Vincent Notley says Ash, Wastes and Corsair. A two for in the first two there. Uh, Anonymous Rex, the Night Haunt Crossbows, uh, the Elder Corsair Kill Team, and the Necromunda Train, all aboard the Necromunda Hype Train. Uh, mm. Pete Allison, uh, Elder Avatar, the new Night Haunt, and the Necromunda Ash Wastes expansion. Car emoji. Ricky Smith says Avatar. Avatar with a blue filter to make it look icy, and Avatar with a purple filter to make <laughs> it look slaneshy controversial oh. uh just this guy you know says haven't really processed it all the article seemed really scattered around and you know what i'm going to agree with this one i prefer the preview shows where they're all on one article rather than lots of different ones it's just easier to to see yeah. them all um wild west wargaming i have to admit i was a little bit underwhelmed but here they are pirate of the craft world morgan ra uh, and gork morka in less green yeah absolutely <laughs> Uh, Jack says the Shining Spears, 
using new shining spears to make new jet bikes. Cool. And Morgan Ra. Uh, Nate Hammer, uh, 40K's wharf, now bigger to make the prot- protagonist even more badass. Uh, Jarlaxle, but in space. Don't know on that one. You're going to help me, guys. And the idea of Orlock bikers. Yes, I'm on board for Orlock bikers. Chrissy says Corsairs, Morgan Ra, and Mad Maximunda. I like it. <laughs> um, Jack Young says easily big red. It's nice to see the Horus Heresy demons get some love. Randomly, I'm a big fan of the Spear and Avatar too, and I don't play older. Yeah, the, the, I, I like the jet bikes and the Avatar. Uh, Nevermore, the Night Haunt Cross Boo Men. I'm loving the puns, guys. Necromunda Ash Wastes and the Corsair Kill Team. Claude Savagely. Oh, I've already read his number one. I'm not happy. So number three, Shining Spears. Number two, Avatar. And number one, the new Sanguineous Basing Kit. (laughs) I agree. I agree. (laughs) Uh, Tiger Dave. I loved all the reveals. While not my armies, this doesn't mean I can't show some love. Morgan Rowe was a showstopper for me. Gorgeous model. I may well have to get one. I think the best Avatar config would be no helm and a spear. Really looking forward to Ash Wastes. And Chris says Morgan Ra, Kill Team Corsairs, and the Avatar of Kane. I think the Corsairs have probably got the most love on balance there. And you know what? I wasn't fussed on this when I saw it, but I watched the video and he's grown on me. Mm. It's really just like cool it. when you see like a unique sort of, you know, he's got his own distinct look, hasn't he? Separate from all of the main factions in 40k. I got the same thing when you see like the random Inquisitor that, you know, model that we get or... Um, uh, the, the Vindicar assassin, just those unusual sort of standalone pieces. You know what I like? The fact that he's got an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> I like his parrot. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, what have we got for next week's top three, Matt? Well, obviously we've got a, a, an assortment of battle tomes coming out in the first uh, half of the year. So we want to know what three Age of Sigma books you'd like to see released this year. Ooh. That's a, that's a good one. Um, so, yeah, you can get your choices in early uh, via social media over on Twitter or Facebook or hang fire until Sunday and Monday of, of the new, next recording. We'll pop a post out that you can then reply to um, whichever way um, you fancy. You can get in touch. That brings us to the end of another week's podcasting. It's been as fun as always, gents. It has indeed. It's uh it's exciting, isn't it? All these toys on the way. It's uh, it's going to be an expensive 2022, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing what you uh, you and Jay reveal next week as well. So uh, that should be uh, a good one to stick around for. Until then, have a great week of hobby, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruceandbrews.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruceandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruceandbrews.